Coming up next is Ask Sarah. You got to get up every morning with a smile on your face and show the world all the love in your heart. Then people gonna treat you better. You're gonna find, yes you will, that you're beautiful. Welcome to Ask Sarah. This week is a tribute to my mother, my mother Joanna Patricia North, who on January 25th turned 94 years old. This is quite a feat, as my mother was quite a sickly person growing up. Let us not forget that she survived the war. She survived fevers in India. She has survived um, being a widow. She has survived many things in her life. But also at the same time, she's accomplished many things. My mother, a very beautiful, aspired to be an actress at a time that was very difficult to do so. She was born in India. Her, colonels, her father was a colonel in the Indian Army. Her mother, a Scottish lady. My mother is the seventh child of the seventh child, and there were nine altogether. At the age of 12, a mother and the siblings were sent to England. They were told that their father was dead and that they were good, had to go back to England to live. From living in beautiful places where they were completely and utterly looked after, they went back to England into a small house where they were all crammed together. My mother only found out when she was 70 years of age that her father was still alive and that she had met him as her uncle, and that it had been deemed appropriate for the old siblings to tell the younger ones that their father was dead. It broke her heart, because the one thing her father and she had in common was for the love of words. If you're looking at the posting, you're seeing a story of Horatio Mouse. This is a story that my mum wrote, wrote many, many years ago, and it is a beautiful story, a story of you're never too small. We never can say never. And we never know what leadership we are meant to have until we step into the arena. It's about a mouse that finds him his way to Africa and ends up becoming king of the jungle. It is narrated by Jan Burney, a wonderful dear friend, a librarian teacher, who has a wonderful way of telling stories. I'd like you to gather your children alongside of them, listen to this, talk about it, make it something that becomes a favorite, download it to your iPhone or to a tablet, let them hear it while they're in the car, and they can look at the words and they can look at the pictures. I'm very proud of my mum and what she's accomplished. Not only a beautiful woman, a wonderful actress, a wonderful mother, a fun person, an adventurous person. But unfortunately, that oh-so-British shy person. When she knew you, she could let her hair down, but always was a little too reserved. You know that stiff upper lip? Mm. It got in the way of things. My mum was just an extraordinarily warm-hearted person and really when 
She did let her hair down and enjoyed life immensely. She and many, many trips together, off away for the weekend, off away for a couple of weeks, go and mar and daughter and just have fun. We always wined and dined and, hey, we've got some memories, some really good memories. When I was young, I was a very sickly child. I had really chronic asthma. And those days, you started getting a cold or asthma because it always went to bronchitis with me. It was to bed, you go. And sometimes I could be in bed up to three months at a time. When I got into an asthma attack, there were no ventilums or drugs at that time that could do anything. And my mum would come in and tell me a story and get me to focus on my breathing so that I could calm down. This would take at least 20 minutes of me nearly passing out, but I would get mesmerized by her stories and it would bring me back. She's always been there for us children, helped us out when we've needed, supported us. She loves us all very much, my brother, the author, Sam, whom you've heard on the show, and my sister, Jane. I wish I could have been there for my mum's 94th. It was something I so dearly wanted. I know that time is ticking and I want to see her one more time. I want to share some more stories and have some more wonderful memories to come home with. I want to be able to put my arms around her frail body. She is bedbound now. Still got a very astute brain. She can still whip anybody at a crossword puzzle. Loves the old world shows. And doesn't remember or forget much. But the body has failed her. The body is slowly crumbling down. I believe that the gods will be kind and enable me to go over there and see her, to say our goodbyes, to give her the blessings, to invite the angels that when the time is right, they will give her the wings. It's hard, isn't it, when someone you love and known all your life is at that entrance, that door, a door into a life that has so much more peace, so much more tranquility, something she's always eluded in this life. A world that is full of laughter and joy. She'll be out of this body, out of the pain. She'll be out of the heartache. And she can take that loving spirit over into the next world and enjoy it. Why do we fear death so much? Is it because we have unfinished business? Are we afraid of the actual act of dying? Are we afraid that it will be painful? Are we afraid of leaving people behind to stand on their own defeat? Do we feel we haven't accomplished enough? Do we feel we haven't left a legacy? Do we feel that our lives counted? We don't know when it's our time to go. I've had a few knocks on the door myself but managed to come back. I wasn't <laughs> wasn't ready or it wasn't my time. I have work to do here, lots more work to do. And so life I will embrace until that door opens for me. But some advice I give you. Do not take into the afterlife the pain, the bitterness, the disappointment or the regrets that you are experiencing in this life. Leave that all here. Try and erase it before you go. Try and delete it. 
but do not take it with you. Because uh, somewhere along the line, someone else is going to be reborn with your soul and with your cellular memories. And they're going to wonder why they hate so much or why they're so bitter or why they're so discontent because their life doesn't reflect that. But those cellular memories do. Clean slate before you go. Clean house. And go with the joy of a life well lived. Go with a joy of gratitude. Go with the joy of you did your best and now your open arms as to what comes next. Let go of everything else that didn't serve you in your lifetime and is certainly not going to serve you now. As I said, this is a tribute to my mother, my beautiful, beautiful mother. She has such a way of words, you should have seen her on the stage. She commanded a presence, not in a prima donna way, but just in the way that she brought life to her role. She was an extremely good dramatic actress. She could pull you into that person's pain or despair or, or grief or triumph or achievement. She made you feel that person. The camera loved her. The spotlight loved her. And people loved her. The unfortunate thing, though, is she was born into a time where there was a war got in the way. There was... Poverty and famine after the war, that got in the way. She had a child already, that got in the way. She married my father, and as much as I loved my father, they were not well suited. And my father was a very jealous man. And when a main role in a very big TV station, a big TV show at the time, that they wanted to write for my mother, my father wouldn't let her do it. He died shortly afterwards. And she could have been somewhere building a life for herself. But he just didn't want to share her. Which is sad. When people are giving gifts, beautiful gifts, they are meant to be shared. You should embrace the gifts that you're given and that your loved ones are given. Help shed the spotlight on them. Help nurture them. Help them grow them. Do it with pride. Do it with honour. Never take your own insecurities and have them get in the way of somebody else's development. That's your issue, not theirs. My dad was a jealous person. I loved him very much. Probably didn't like him. But he just married the wrong woman. Hmm. I seem to repeat that. But I was born out of that. My children was born out of mine. And so we follow that path that sometimes is in front of us, even though we maybe were given another option to go another way. We try and make the best out of it. And when we realise it can't travel anymore, we shift directions and go a different way. You can't go with resentment or hate or, or fear. You have to go with, I have learnt this, I have achieved that, and in courage I walk forward to embrace my life authentically, truthfully, peacefully. My mum was an awful fun person to, to travel with. She was so beautiful a lot of the times people thought that, you know, she was an older sister. She had freckles, she had a beautiful plexion and shiny eyes and bouncing hair. She's never a skinny person, but there was something about the way she carried herself. Very regal. 
She wasn't a snob in any realm whatsoever, and she took delight in cooking a meal and having people over, either for a sit-down dinner or for potlucks or just a barbecue. We lived in South Africa for 11 years. I was born and raised in England, and we lived in South Africa for 11 years, which was a very open society. A lot of people came round and had barbies, as they called them, or we'd entertain with people or go off to the pub, be entertained there. And I saw a side of my mum that I never saw in England. The pearls in the tweed came off, the flowy dresses, the loose hair, the sparkle in her eyes and laughter that came from her. She was alive there. It was a place that gave her life. Well, years went down the road and mum left there and she tried here with me for a few months in in Canada, but she went home to England. And for the last uh, 20 odd years, she's lived in England. My brother has always been very close to her. They've intertwined their lives a great deal. They both have a love of words, as he's a writer. And it's been a very good relationship between them. I'm kind of the one that left home. You know, I went to Canada. I've been here almost 34 years and went home to see her with the children and she came over to see us. But just due to circumstances right now, I have not been able to go back as much as I wanted to or to have that time with her in these golden years. I will make it, Mum. One way or the other, I will make it. But I want to tell you and I want to say to you You are beautiful inside and out. You have a wonderful soul, a very giving and loving heart, a very free, beautiful spirit. It's just your troubled mind you need to let go of. I am grateful for all that you have done for me, for being there for me, for supporting me. Even when you thought I was crazy and you didn't understand what I was doing, you never damned me, you never judged me. You always supported my decisions, be they right or wrong. You understood it was my life's journey. I love the way we could sit on the couch and go down memory lane and have a good chuckle. And we have done a lot of things together that are really worth chuckling about. But they were fun things, things that we never expected us to do. Certainly growing up in England in a more restrained life, We got to South Africa, we both became two different people, and we explored more, and we opened up more, and we experienced more out of life, and we did that together, and I'm very grateful that we did. I wish we were closer, I wish I was closer, I wish you were weller, but you know what? All my life I was told that you were dying, that you had ill health, that you had a bad heart. My father died when I was 11 and I thought that you were going to follow him soon after. But what did you do as a widow? Ostracized from your group because now you're a single woman and they didn't want you in the group? You looked to do something else with your life and you taught. You taught at schools, you taught at colleges and you opened up people's minds to a different world, a different language and you taught them something else more than words can give. You taught them grace. Grace. It's a beautiful word, and it's more beautiful even when it's acted. 
You can't make people have grace. That grace they have to discover within themselves. You had such beautiful grace. And that was something that always people were warmed up to. You've done things that you never thought possible. The going over to South Africa. Us starting all over again. I remember coming home from school one day and watching this motorbike go up my road. And there was a woman with long flowing hair on the back of this motorbike. I get up to my house and this motorbike is outside my house. And I go in there and there's my mother laughing with a friend. She's wearing a long flowing wig. And I have never seen her just so alive. From the very restrained pearls and tweed lady of England. Here you were, free. Your spirit was free. You were glowing in life. You were experiencing life. You were living it. You have travelled much since then, gone to many places, met many wonderful people. Yes, you've had a lot of sorrow. Yes, you've had a lot of pain and disappointment. And yes, your shyness came back. But you know, you have a life that you have lived you have seen, you have done, you have participated. You've been a part of something that set out some very good vibrations into the planet. So never, ever, ever be ashamed of what you've done or never feel that you didn't accomplish what you wanted to do. You have done more than most people do in two or three lifetimes. You were a war bride, a war mother, you had a child to protect. You would see the bombs coming down on the city. You would watch people being killed in front of you. You were pursued by a, a German uh, escapee. And you had to watch your husband, the man you loved, take flight and hope that he would come back safe. You had difficulty with the mothers and mother-in-laws in your life. And you've also created a great jealousy. A jealousy over your beauty, over your grace, over your supremeness. People have misread you. They've assumed and they've judged. But when those have opened up to see who you really are and embrace that, they've seen a Joanna that was so much fun. So alive, so caring and so warming. 94. We never expected you to get here. 94. Will I? When you are doing what you love doing, age doesn't matter. When you are living in that spirit, that vibration, that love of life, you'll just keep on going. My mum kind of gave up a little bit. She allowed her body to take over. And her spirit and her mind started frailing. Don't give up yet, Mum. Please don't. I am coming. There's still some stories that we have to hear. There's still some stories that you have to tell us. Hey, we've got an interview to do. So don't think of going anywhere yet, okay? 94 years of age. What a gift of life. What a gift of longevity. If we take care of ourselves, emotionally, physically, environmentally, be around the right people, 
that keep us young and keep us well. Have a reason for living. Have a purpose that makes us get up every day. Feel proud and impassioned of what we do. We will not feel the years, and the years will not feel us too. Life is for living, folks. It's for experiencing. It's not for the rainy day. It's not for tomorrow. It's for the now. Get up and do something right now that is truly wonderful, that is spectacular, that is so much fun. Get up and put some music on. Get your boogie going. Shake those hips. Sing that song. Write that verse. Toss that hair. Feel the body free. Life is about living. Live it well. So gather your family. Sit around the computer. Press this play button. And listen to Horatio Mouse. There'll be some other stories I'll be posting from my mum. But this one, well, this one is special. Because this one tells you that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how small you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. If your heart and your spirit and your soul are in the right place, you have no idea what you can achieve until you set out onto the path to discover it. I hope all of you enjoy this story and share it around. You see the full written version on the posting. Many more stories to come, not just from my mum, but from others. If you've got a story that you wish to share from a family member, from somebody long forgotten, send them to me and let us share them here on the PLV magazine, or we can audio it and make it into a storytelling. For now, happy birthday, my dear Ma. Happy birthday. My love, my spirit, my heart, my soul, and my blessings are with you and the pride to call you my mother. This is your story. This is your ratio mouse. Enjoy it. Enjoy. Next we will be talking about the Chinese New Year. What sign are you? And it's the year of the horse. Mm, my year. What has it got in store for us? So folks, until the next time, enjoy the story. And remember, love your life. Love your siblings, love your wife, love your husband, love your mother and your father, and make sure you tell them that you love them. Show them that you love them. And appreciate that getting old is a gift, a true gift. I love you, Mama, and always will. Until the next time. Horatio Mouse. The day was hot. Almost too hot. Even the birds were too lazy to fly. Down in the docks, men were loading up a ship for the captain to catch the evening tide. The men worked slowly in the baking heat. Horatio lay back in the cool shade of a barrel and watched the men at work. He'd been watching this particular ship for three days and had seen the men unload such wonderful cargo, spices, tobacco and huge sacks of ripe corn and barley his very favourite food. He sniffed the air, 
The smells of the spices made him daydream about the land that they had come from, a land Horatio felt strangely drawn to, as if it was sending out a message to him. Often Horatio dreamt about going to this place. Somehow he felt that he was destined to journey there and that big things awaited him. What sort of big things he did not know, but he felt sure that it was his fate to live in this faraway country. Horatio, I must tell you, was a mouse, but not just an ordinary mouse. Horatio was an extraordinary mouse. You see, Horatio could speak and understand the human language. It was this fact that gave Horatio the conviction that he was fated to be great. How? He did not know, but great all the same, one day. The sun licked around Horatio's face and made him close his eyes. It was exhausting watching those men work so hard. He fell fast asleep. Suddenly Horatio was wide awake. The bell had sounded for lunch. Lunch meant crumbs for Horatio, or at least it would mean lunch if any of the sailors were tempted to come and sit and eat their sandwiches on the waterfront. Anxiously Horatio watched as two were coming his way. Horatio washed his whiskers, straightened his jacket and waited. The sailors wandered over near to where Horatio sat and settled themselves down on some large upturned baked bean tins. Soon they were eating away and talking happily in the sun. Horatio crept nearer. He hid under some grass and waited. His mouth watered. Cheese, lovely. All he had to do was to be patient. He was just about to doze off again when he heard one of the men say something about the ship alongside them. Yeah, mate, I know this place well. Went there once. Deep and dark it is. They do say that the jungle is haunted. I heard tell about a race of golden monkeys. Lost race or something. Been hunted for years. There's talk about a lost king too. Imagine that. Yes, this here particular country is very strange. Won't go again, not if you paid me. Funny country it is. On and on he talked. But Horatio didn't listen any more. He lay back under the clump of grass and daydreamed. He did not hear the lunchtime bell ring again for the men to return to work, and he forgot to sniff for crumbs. All afternoon he lay there, dreaming. Later, when the sun was beginning to lower over the horizon, the ship was readying to sail. Its siren sounded. Horatio awoke with a start. With a sudden realisation, Horatio now knew why he could speak the human language. He knew why fate had picked him out. He, yes, he and he alone, was the chosen one. He was destined to be this king. He was so excited at his idea that he hadn't realised that the ship was about to leave. Horatio shouted at the top of his voice, Don't go, I'm coming, don't go! So quickly gathering up all the crumbs left by the two men, he put them in his big red handkerchief and ran across the wharf to the ship. Whilst everyone was busy and looking the other way, Horatio crept into a sack of grain. With a swoosh, he was suddenly lifted into the air. Gulping with fright, Horatio found himself being lowered into a dark cavern. It was the hold. He jumped out of the grain sack just before it landed and hid behind some boxes of fruit. Up above him, he heard voices calling out that all was ready to lower the hatches and Horatio found himself shut in for the journey. It was a bit dark, 
but a chink of sunlight came through the top and helped him see. Hungry now, he found grain spilt from a torn sack and collected water that trickled down a pipe that leaked into a tin left behind by some seaman. Life was good for Horatio. He settled down to enjoy the journey and to dream of the kingdom waiting there for him at the end of the voyage. The weeks went by, and although Horatio was fairly happy, it is to be confessed that he did have a twinge or two of regret, also, alas, a twinge or two of seasickness. Our hero lay on his comfortable bed of sacks and groaned a lot as the sea heaved beneath him and wondered whether he'd made a mistake. He was impatient to get to the new land. He wanted to see what his new kingdom looked like. Finally, the ship arrived at its destination and it was decidedly warmer in the hold. The hatches were opened and men swarmed into them to start the unloading. Horatio gathered together his bits and pieces and tied them up in his big red handkerchief, tidied his hair and brushed down his jacket. Then, pushing his shoulders back with determination, he climbed out of the hold. The men were rushing hither and thither, carrying crates up out of the hold and putting them on the deck, ready to be hoisted by cranes and swung over the side onto the dockside. Horatio was sunning himself out of sight of the men, when it struck him that he could not understand one word these sailors and dockers were saying. He was surprised. It had not occurred to him that there was any other language than English. He was pondering what to do when a cry went up, and here Horatio's heart gave a lurch. He did not know the language, but he knew what the men were calling. It was, Mice! Mice! He was clever enough to know that only mice produced that tone of voice in men, and anyway, he decided that he would not bother to find out if he was right or wrong, but that he would get off the ship as quickly as he could. Horatio watched the gangplank, and as soon as he saw that it was clear of men, he raced down it and kept running until he was many miles inland. In fact, he ran for about four hours, and by then it was nightfall. He saw that he was in the jungle, so he found a broken tree, curled up in a hole and fell fast asleep. His last thought before closing his eyes was, I must explore. About a mile from where Horatio had slept was a small village. It was only a handful of huts, but lots of children and dogs played happily together in the sun. Horatio lay in the shade all day and listened to the children talk, but at night he crept out and gathered food that had been dropped by the children. He crept nearer the huts to listen to the grown-ups talk. You see, Horatio was determined to learn this new human language, and learn it he did. I told you he was a very unusual mouse. He learned also about the jungle, and how to keep alive in this dangerous place. When he'd learned all he needed, he gathered up as much food as he could carry in his big red handkerchief, found a stick, and tied the handkerchief on the end of it, and started forth to claim his kingdom. Days went by until Horatio felt he had come as far into the jungle for his plan to work. So, selecting a broken log to sit on, he sunned himself and waited for his subjects to come. First, a timid buck came by. She jumped in fright at the sight of Horatio, but when he explained about being the new king, she just sighed and said, "'Oh dear, what does it matter? I still get all the worry in the jungle.' and you don't look as if you could save me from anyone at all. 
Oh, dear, dear, dear. With that, she ambled away. What a spineless thing she is, thought Horatio. Doesn't she know that I can speak the human language? Well, she is of no consequence. A shadow loomed over Horatio. He blinked. Standing over him was a huge giraffe. Her eyelashes almost swept him off the log as she bent down to look at him. Horatio told her about being king and speaking the human language, but she looked disdainfully at him and sniffed. Then, gazing down at him with scorn, she spoke. Humans are low people, almost as low as... as... Here she paused. As mice. Then she sniffed again and went away, leaving Horatio with an open mouth. Horatio was feeling a bit downhearted about the lack of interest in his offer to be king, so, as it was hot and the log was very, very comfortable, he fell asleep again. But not for long. He was awakened by such a shaking. Thump, thump, thump. His log bounced up and down. Horatio clung on fast to a twig and tried to remember whether earthquakes were very frequent in the jungle. He held on with all his might. Suddenly, all was still. Horatio peeped out from under a bit of bark. There he saw a whole herd of elephants. Well, if not a whole herd, at least four or five. Horatio brushed himself down, cleared his throat. Then, standing on the highest bit of the log, he put on his best kingly manner and said, My people! He wasn't prepared for the reaction that followed. The nearest elephant gave a squeak and said to her friend, I knew I didn't feel well today. I hear voices, dreadful voices. Oh dear, I feel faint. She waved her trunk in the air and turned quite pale. Her friends clucked in sympathy. Horatio cleared his throat once again and started his speech. My subjects, I want to tell you that I shall be a very good king. I shall be fair. I shall be kind but strict. I shall be wise, but open to suggestions. I shall love my people, and... He got no further. Another elephant started shrieking. I can hear voices too. Something has happened to us. We're being bewitched. She waved her trunk in the air too, and also turned to goggle. The first elephant said, We must keep calm. We must try and act with dignity. Eek! I can hear it still. It's horrible. Another elephant groaned. Horatio was furious. He danced up and down on the log and called out to them. Here I am, shrieked Horatio. Here, you idiots, on the log. Listen, you stupid elephants. I'm your new king, your new king, here on the log. Look, you lumps of... He got no further, for suddenly one of the elephants saw him, jumped about a yard in the air, gave a piercing scream and then rushed off. The others didn't wait to find out what she had seen. They took to their heels and followed her. They did not stop till they were at least fifty miles away, where they lay panting and telling each other about the monster they had seen. Such terror, such horror. And what was that voice saying? Something about being king? Oh dear, they had had a narrow escape. Horatio was very cross. These animals did not deserve him. They did not deserve such a good king as himself. In fact, it was only his duty that made him stay on and try again. But... As the day went by, he was more and more disappointed. Not one single animal was interested, except the snake, but he'd looked at Horatio with very greedy eyes, 
so greedy, in fact, that Horatio thought it better to disappear down a deep hole in the log until the snake grew tired of waiting and went away. After he had gone, Horatio thought that it was very wrong of a future subject to look at his king that way. Horatio was about to give up when he heard a chuckle near him. He peered around and saw a hyena sitting there laughing his head off. When Horatio inquired whether he could share the joke, the hyena rolled onto the ground, held his sides with laughter, and between laughs he said, So you're going to be the new king! Ha 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 ho ho ho! Horatio was annoyed. Yes, I am, he said. The hyena laughed even louder. Horatio was even crosser. What's so funny about that, he asked. The hyena rolled around and in between laughs he said, Ha! Have you told the King Lion yet? King Lion? Why, no. Ha! This is going to be funny, said the hyena. Oh my! Ha! <laughs> I can't wait to tell him. So, laughing louder than ever, he ran off into the jungle. Horatio sat on the log and thought that the animals in the jungle were ungrateful. They don't deserve me, he thought. They only want... Horatio quailed. From the jungle came a mighty roar. Turning quite white with fear, Horatio tried to make himself invisible. Then, out of the jungle, came the mighty lion. Where is he? Where is this upstart that thinks he can be king? Where is this cheeky mouse who dares to try and take my throne from me? Come out! Come out! Come here at once! With knees knocking and teeth chattering, Horatio crawled out of his hole. With as much bravery as he could muster, he stood on the highest part of the log, and with an even squeakier voice than usual, he said, You mean me? Yes, you, roared the lion. Then he stopped roaring and came to Horatio, looking at him very intently. He said in a very sarcastic voice, I hear that you fancy yourself as king. Now tell me why you should feel that you are qualified for that post. Tell me that, eh? Horatio was relieved that the king was going to be so kind and reasonable. He stood straighter and taller. Then with confidence he began, It's like this, your, uh, uh, lionship. I can speak the language of men, the human language. The lion waited for Horatio to say more. Then when he saw that Horatio was finished, he was flabbergasted. Is that all? he asked Horatio. All, all, protested Horatio. Can you speak it? No, you can't. None of you can. So that makes me cleverer than all of you. So he suddenly stopped and Horatio started shaking for King Lion was slowly turning purple with rage. His whole body was drawing up to its full height. Cleverer? Why you, you upstart? How dare you? Why, with one swipe of my paw, I could send you to the moon? Then what good would your human language do you there, eh? Tell me that, eh? He lifted his huge paw and pointed. Go, go, he said. Go before I knock you back to where you came from. Go. Horatio went, tail between his legs. He felt that perhaps it wasn't quite the right time to claim his throne. In fact, he did not stop running until the sound of the lion's roars could not be heard. It was many hours later when Horatio stopped running. He was very tired and just could not go on. So when he saw a stream, he thankfully lay down and drank deeply from the spring water. Then he crept under a rock by the edge of the water and fell fast asleep. He was exceedingly tired. When Horatio awoke, he saw that the stream lay at the foot of some big mountains. 
Here the jungle was not so dense, and all down the side of the mountain were rocks, like steps all the way up. Horatio thought he might climb to find out where he was. Hours later, exhausted, he reached a ledge, nearly at the top, and here Horatio spied a cave, still some way above him. I'll make my home there, thought Horatio. This will probably be safe from lions. He was very sad. His situation wasn't good. All the animals had rejected him, and he felt so full of misery. He would have made a good king. He would have been wise and fair. He sighed. He didn't know what a king did when he wasn't wanted as a king. There was a soft tug on his arm. Thinking it was the lion that had caught up with him, he jumped in fright, and turning round to meet his doom, he saw a small golden monkey standing by his side. The monkey was looking at him with astonishment and wonder. My goodness, said Horatio, how beautiful you are. Then he was amazed, for on hearing his words, the monkey started crying. Why, said Horatio, what is the matter? I said you were beautiful. I didn't say you were ugly. With that, the monkey cried all the more. Horatio was bewildered. You see, that's the trouble, wailed the monkey. It's because we are so beautiful that we are hunted so. Hunted? asked Horatio, horrified anyone could harm such a beautiful creature. Yes, we are all nearly finished now. There is only a few of us left. It's our fur. We are hunted for our golden fur. We don't know what to do. Won't you help us? The monkey wailed on and on. Puddles of tears were pooling at his feet. This won't do, Goldie. He decided to call him Goldie because he was certain Goldie would become his new best friend. We must think of something to save you all. Perhaps. He got no further, for from behind the rocks there came such screaming and crying. They're coming! They're here! The hunters are coming! Hurry, everybody! Fly! A voice shouted out. Out of the spaces behind the rocks came the rest of the golden monkey's friends and cousins. Horatio was horrified. How could humans do this? He liked humans, or he used to. Quickly he looked about him. Then he remembered the cave he'd chosen for his home. Not stopping to think, he yelled to Goldie to round up all his friends and to follow him. In their blind panic they did as they were told, and Horatio led them further up the mountainside. The monkeys were faster than Horatio and his new friend, and his new friend Goldie carried him as he pointed the way. Behind them, the hunters, seeing what had happened, gave chase. Up and up they went, until at last the cave was reached. Telling all the monkeys to go as far back into the cave as they could, Horatio told them that he could speak the human language, so he would creep out and hide to find out what the humans were going to do. Goldie kept watch by the entrance while Horatio wriggled down to the path that the human people would take to reach the cave. He got as close as he could and listened hard. The hunters openly discussed how they would catch the stupid monkeys and how much they would make for each skin. Horatio was horrified. He had to save the monkeys. When Horatio returned, he was greeted by the news that they had found another way out of the cave. It led up to the top of the mountain and the younger ones were eager to start at once. Horatio stopped them. His heart was heavy with sorrow. He had sad news to tell. In silence, the monkeys heard how Horatio had listened to the humans laughing 
about the way the monkeys had gone into the cave. They knew about the other tunnel that led up to the top, so they were going to blast the entrance this end, then wait the other end with nets. The monkeys were frightened and furious. Some even accused Horatio of being in league with the hunters. But Goldie came to his defence and said that it was just bad luck. Anyway, he'd saved them from rushing up through the other tunnel. But what to do? That was the question. It was unthinkable to go up the other tunnel that only led to their doom, so they sat and waited for Horatio to tell them what to do next. There were new noises outside. Then voices were heard and laughter. All the hunters were happy, thinking that they had the monkeys in the nets already. Their laughter sounded so cruel to Horatio. Quick, hurry, said Horatio. Get back down the cave as far as you can go. Then lie flat behind any rock you can find. Hurry, they are going to blast now. Everybody, get down. All rushed down the slope of the back of the cave and lay still with trembling hearts as they waited for the dynamites to explode. There was a huge bang. Rocks went flying through the air, dust swirled around the cave, and everyone was covered. It got into their eyes and their throats, but they never moved. Horatio signalled to everyone to keep as still as, well, mice. At last the rumbles died away, the dust settled, all was still, so still that Horatio could feel their fear. He thought he knew what had happened. The hunters had used too much dynamite in their eagerness to get the monkeys. So now, horrors, both exits were blocked and there wasn't a way out. All was still, so still that Horatio could feel the fear and hatred of the monkeys for him. He tried to speak, but his mouth felt dry with shame. He had led the monkeys here to die. In his great eagerness to be king, he had led these poor monkeys to their deaths. He crept further down into the back of the tunnel. Down, down he went, until he could go no further. He huddled against the rock wall and put his head in his hands and wept. Suddenly he felt an arm going around him and a soft voice said, Don't cry, Horatio, don't cry. You did your best. Anyway, I prefer to die here with you than die in the hunter's nets. Hush, 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 don't cry. We're together. So saying, Goldie for yes, it was Goldie, stood right next to Horatio and held his hand. Horatio stopped crying. If his friend Goldie could be so brave, then he must be also. So, wiping his nose with his big red handkerchief and blowing hard to clear all the tears, he stood up straight. Smiling with all the courage he could muster, he said quietly, Thank you, my friend. Standing close together, waiting for the end, Goldie's teeth started to chatter with cold, so he wrapped his arms around his body, but still he shivered. He asked Horatio, Are you, you c c cold t too? Horatio was puzzled. He felt such a draught coming through the rocks that he felt all up and down the wall. Then, giving such a whoop of joy that Goldie nearly jumped out of his skin, he caught hold of Goldie and said, It's a crack, a crack in the wall. Quick, Goldie, help me scrape a hole big enough to squeeze through. I'm going to explore. So the two friends scratched and scraped. Finally, there was room for Horatio to squeeze through. He couldn't believe what he saw on the other side. Popping his head out again, he excitedly told Goldie that on the, that side of the wall was a tunnel and he was going to see how far it went. Goldie must stay put by the crack to guide him back to the right spot, 
He must not move at all, but wait till Horatio returned. Goldie agreed to do this. So, with a quick wave of his hand, Horatio disappeared. Goldie called to the others to wait with him. He knew they would need to know that at least there was a chance of escape. The mouse has gone to find a way out. We must wait. The others muttered that they thought the mouse had run away. But Goldie told them, Sniff the air. It's fresh. The mouse will find a way for us. He has to. It must have been about half an hour later that Horatio returned, and Goldie and the rest were very glad to see him. Anxiously they waited to find out what Horatio had found. I found it! I found a way out! Horatio was so excited he could hardly keep his feet on the ground, and he danced up and down with delight. He stood on a piece of rock and waited for the hubbub to die down. When there was silence, he looked at all the faces watching him and waiting to hear about this miracle. My friends, I led you here to this cave and I thought that I was saving your lives. The hunters think that we have all been buried alive in this cave. That is good, my friends, because you will never have to fear the hunters again. All the monkeys started chattering at once, but Horatio held up his hand for silence. Beyond this mountain, down through the tunnel behind this wall, lies a valley. A valley sweet with green grass and trees. There's fresh water and that streams run through a golden sunny valley. It is surrounded by high mountains and this tunnel is the only entrance. So you see, we will be safe. My friends, I will lead you to this valley. But before I do so, I would like to ask you all a question. I want you all to vote on it. The question is this, my friends. Will you let me be your king? The monkeys were silent. Suddenly one of them, a very wise old monkey, stepped forward. If we say no, will you leave us here in this cave to die? Horatio was horrified. Leave you here? Uh, no, no, he said. If you don't choose me as your king, I will still lead you out. But I shall be lost, for it was to be king that fate sent me over the waters. If I am not king, I do not know what to do. The same wise monkey spoke again. Listen, my fellow monkeys, Horatio Mouse is kind and clever. If he had known, not known how to speak the language of the hunters, we would have been dead by now. He is also very unselfish. He would still lead us out of this mountain, even if we did not want him as our king. I, for one, cannot reject him. I vote for, yes, Horatio as our king. One by one the monkeys voted until all had finished. There was a small silence, then an almighty roar. Goldie gave a whoop of joy and then called for three cheers for their new king. All had voted yes, and all looked at Horatio with love and pride. The cheers rang out again and again, but Horatio stopped them at last. He told them there was lots of work to do before they reached their new home. Rock had to be moved to make the tunnel big enough for all the monkeys to get through. To work, to work, my people. Then you will see your own golden valley. Oh, how hard they worked. If they got tired, Horatio told them about the lovely valley ahead. So all kept up their courage and worked until at daybreak they finally reached the end of the tunnel. There was a rush to see this wonderful place. Young monkeys jumped up and down with happiness and everyone stood and gazed at the most beautiful valley in the world. All Horatio had told them was true. Trees were full of fruit, the water in the streams was sweet to drink, and, what was the most important thing of all, 
They were safe, safe for ever and ever. Tears of joy flowed with cries of joy. Horatio had brought them to a kingdom like no other kingdom in the world. Forevermore, all the monkeys will love and honour their king, Horatio. Time went by and homes were built, also a lovely palace for Horatio, big enough for his friend Goldie to live there too, for every king must have a friend. The wise old monkey he made prime minister, and he in his turn picked other wise monkeys to be in his cabinet so that they could make wise laws. All were happy. All the monkeys agreed that Horatio was the best king that any country could have. As for Horatio, he was just the king he said he would be. He was wise, fair and good. He even started a school so all the young ones could learn of the world he had seen. Life went on. Everyone was happy and settled. Until one day, a small monkey came running to the palace to say that he had seen some dragons. But that's another tale. This story is was written by Joanna North. Joanna North has told these Mouse King stories over the years to many children around the world, and children everywhere always wanted to hear more. She has just turned 93 years old and wanted to share her stories of Horatio with kids on the web. If you tell this story to a child, don't forget who wrote it. She'd love to hear from the children. Contact me, positiveliving at outlook.com, and it will be forwarded to her. She has also written about growing old on TV. Thank you for tuning in to PLV Radio. We hope that our programming has inspired you. Please feel free to visit the website to find past shows and schedules. Find your favorite hosts, leave comments about your experience and share ideas for future shows. Don't forget to visit us on your favorite social media websites, which you will find links to at plv-radio.com. Listen with your friends and share the inspiration.